standing, I will go ahead and um, read our text. We're in a series called The Content Life, and we are exploring what it means to appreciate God's goodness. Gratitude helps protect us from living a life of selfishness, gluttony, or pride, while enabling us to see the beauty in what God brings to us. So today, I'm excited to hit part two of The Content Life. I think last week uh, was pretty exciting. We talked about the prodigal son, if you were here in Luke chapter 15. And the irony of Thanksgiving, by the way, is that sometimes those closest to the Father's blessings can become the most desensitized to the Father's blessings. And so hopefully, as we do a gratitude list every week at the bottom of your notes today, I gave you three more things to be grateful for to, to choose. But as we do that over the, over the coming weeks, we'll just get a heart of gratitude. Did you know that social scientists are now telling us that when we are grateful, it literally biologically rewires our brain. Like there are new neuro networks being created and transformed in our brain when we are grateful. Like this is, this is not, oh, it just makes me feel happy. There are hormones that are released, serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine released when we are grateful. And so I'm excited to talk about gratitude in this series. I want to take you to our text though, since you're standing in honor of reading God's word, I want to take you to Philippians chapter three, verse 4b, which means the second half of the verse, through 14. And the Apostle Paul says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider myself, I'm sorry, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward, in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word that is just so alive that it can transform the spirit man without even our permission. So God, I ask that you would invade our space today, that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us in levels that we can't even comprehend. God, that you would bubble things up to the surface that we failed to address with you, things that we thought had been taken care of years ago. God, that you would let us find a space for healing in the next 25, 30 minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So we've had a number of people come in since our 
initial meet and greet. Will you take a couple of seconds, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, meet somebody around you, smile, tell them they smell good, and then you may be seated. If Jesus were with us in the flesh today, I wonder if we would accuse him of being un-American. I mean, for, for as long as I can remember, uh, just so, so we all know, I have loved being American. I have. I'm, I'm extremely grateful to be born in the United States of America. I'm extremely grateful uh, in her flaws and faults and all. I'm just grateful to be an American. Um, I've never once felt the need to apologize for it, to make excuses for it. Um, I've, not, I've not felt the need to be embarrassed that I'm American. I love America, just like I love my kids, who are not perfect either, just like I love my wife, who is perfect. <laughs> I, I, love, I love America, however, um, I will say that I've often been caught in the stereotypical American trappings, such as um, the pursuit of power, pursuit of wanting more money, recognition, selfish ambition, making a name for myself. You guys are kind of quiet and I'm feeling a little bit lonely. So as I say some of these trappings, if you can identify or if you're sitting next to someone, that you feel should be able to identify with what I'm saying, just say, oh yeah, okay? Uh, so I listed some of these trappings for me. Uh, pursuit of power, money, recognition, selfish ambition, making a name for myself, advancing my interest, my agenda, my goals, my comfort. You get the point. The American dream, like, comes with so much baggage and things that I don't think the dream really should carry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so much about Trey, so much about you. I'm guessing that many of you, you can relate. Like, you love America, but you're falling into some of the same, same things yourself. I wonder if Jesus and the disciples today got into the boat to go to the other side, and if the other side was Lady Bird Lake, if they would be in severe culture shock when they stepped out in downtown Austin. Could you imagine? Jesus and his disciples think they're just going to the other side of the lake, and then they get to the weird place. <laughs> you know, I, I've come to see that our country is not and has never really been the center of Christianity. We've always been the ends of the earth. And I want, I want you to understand that, that while Jesus is not un-American, he's not anti-American either. But when he talks about to his people, saying, go into all the world to the ends of the earth, he was talking about you. He was talking about me. You and I are the ends of the earth. And so it takes me to a place of deep awe and gratitude and worship to think that through the, the corridors of time, from the other side of the world and across language and ethnic and cultural and religious and economic barriers, Jesus saw me. He saw you. And he said that you were worth 
getting a ragamuffin group together to rally the troops, to encourage them for generation to generation to generation so that one day you and I would have the honor to know him, to worship him. His vision for us is often different than our vision as an American. And I've, I've written a few down. Is that all right if I share them with you? In America, what seems to matter most are the results that we produce. In Jesus, what matters most is the kind of person we are becoming. In America, success is measured by material accumulation, power, and the position that we hold. But in Jesus, success is measured by generosity, humility, and the unity that we build. In America, it is embarrassing to be last and commendable to be first, but in Jesus, the first will be last and the last will be first. In America, leaders make a name for themselves to become famous, and sometimes they treat Jesus as a means to get to that end. But in Jesus, leaders make his name famous and treat their own positions, abilities, and influence as a means to get Jesus famous. In America, people crave recognition and credit. Can I get a good amen? In Jesus, people think less of themselves and give credit to others. In America, the strong and powerful rise to the top. But in Jesus, the meek inherit the earth. In America, people are quick to defend themselves, often publicly shaming those who wrong them. Hashtag blessed. But in Jesus, people fight for unity at all costs, keeping clear from even the appearance of division. Uh, should I say that one more time? In America, we love to defend ourselves and publicly shame those who wrong us. And, and some of us are really good at that passive-aggressive stuff on Facebook behind a keyboard, aren't we? But those who are hidden in Jesus never feel the need to defend themselves. Did you know Jesus never defended himself? The truth doesn't have to argue with lies. In Jesus, we actually can hold our tongue because our goal is to keep clear from even the appearance of division. I am shocked at the number of Christians that argue on social media. This isn't a come to Jesus meeting. This isn't a butt weapon for our church. Nothing. You guys don't do that. I'm just saying other people. Maybe second service. I mean, really, I don't see you guys doing that, but isn't it amazing? You've seen, you know, this preacher, famous preacher, putting down this female preacher, all for the name of Jesus. What? I mean, if I were not a follower of Jesus and I were to look at the ebb and flow of social media and the critics that are criticizing one another in the same family, I don't want to be part of that family. But I digress. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in the text that we read, he enjoyed a tremendous amount of professional success in all the, the position, power, and recognition that a first century rabbi could have dreamed of. Yet he declared in Philippians 3, 7, 8, we'll read that again, verse 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Other translations say rubbish. That's more fun to say. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul learned a secret about being content. Now, if you're on social media and you happen to be my friend, you may have seen me last night at nine o'clock, get a little bit excited about this morning. And I put out there, hey, you definitely don't want to miss it because today is going to be a game changer for influencers in our society, leaders of business in our society, people who build culture, like the movers, the shakers, the, the people that run fast, the people that build high things. You know what I mean? People that are driven. This message is, is for you because I'm concerned that maybe in our ambition, we're not content. Are we really 100% full throttle because we're pursuing the call of God for our life? Or are we 100% full throttle because we're looking for that next fix? That next thing that's going to make us feel significant. That next thing that we're going to be celebrated and get the accolades for. And wow, you really did it this time. Every time I cook a meal, my daughter, Michaela and Lawrence, when they come over, she has this saying, Every, it doesn't matter how good the meal is or how bad it is. She says, wow, dad, you did it again. I now, if I'm feeling bad about myself, I will invite them over for dinner <laughs> and I will make them grilled cheese just to hear, wow, dad, you did it again. I, I took a photo of something I made. What did I make? I don't remember, it doesn't matter. But I sent it to her and I said, look at this. Wow, I did it again. It, I've gotten so used to it, I'm now congratulating myself. <laughs> Paul learned the secret to being content. He was a mover and shaker. Like he was, he was a leader with influence. Not always the best influence, but he had influence. So how do you go from full throttle, like, being one of the all-in, all-the-time kind of people to finding rest and contentment in your life's work, in your family, in your own skin. How do you get comfortable in your own skin? Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it's not going to be on your screen today, but it's still in your Bible. Paul says, just a chapter after, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He's saying, I've lived on both sides of the train tracks. Like, I've lived where the grass was greener, and I've lived where the grass was not green. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I wonder how many of us actually quote Philippians 4.13. Asking God for strength in certain seasons of our life, but yet we're not pursuing contentment prior to the need of strength. Many of us are successful yet not content. Your first blank today is the one area that I want to hit. If you walk away with nothing um, other than this, I want you to know this. Ambition without vulnerability with Jesus is the catastrophe of success that afflicts the soul. 
I'll say that again. Ambition without vulnerability. Let me see what your blanks. So the first blank is ambition. Ambition without vulnerability. Vulnerability with Jesus is the catastrophe of success that afflicts the soul. To have ambition but not vulnerability with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus. It is the condition that brings affliction on our soul. You can have more money than anyone else in the world. You can have more cars than anyone else in the world. You can have the best suits. You can have the best everything. But if you don't have Jesus, your soul is afflicted. Ambition is a great thing, and that's what I want to talk to you today about is ambition. Ambition is wonderful. It's, it can be godly in and of itself. It's not an evil thing. I, I personally would rather lead someone that has ambition than lead someone that has no ambition. Can I get an amen? I tell my team all the time, you know, sometimes we'll have conversations about, man, that person's just a go-getter. They just do it before I even say, and sometimes they do the wrong thing. And I remind them, hey, it's better to lead someone going too fast because it's easier to slow someone down than it is to get them off the couch and to actually move. Yeah. Right? You ever, <laughs> you ever had to tell your kids, hey, guys, you don't have to clean so much. <laughs> but you have had to say, didn't I tell you? I told you 10 times. It's, it's hard to get someone to get up and move, to move with ambition. But once they're in, in a move, moving motion, you can slow them down. You can redirect the course just a little bit. So I'm not saying or suggesting to you that ambition is bad. Ambition can be godly and it can be pure. It can. But it also can be self-serving and corrupt. And we would do ourselves well to know the difference. And I think we can vacillate between the two, can we not? We can have godly, pure ambition, and then, oops, slip into a self-serving mode for a moment. And we have that wake-up moment, uh, aha moment, and we go back into the godly ambition. On, on the one hand, our ambition can be like Peter in the Bible, who, wanting to please the Lord, gladly left everything he had and followed him immediately. That's godly ambition. Or like Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says he made it his ambition to please Jesus, whether away or at home. On the other hand, though, can't we be a little bit like Simon the sorcerer? Do you remember, do you remember the story of Simon the sorcerer? Simon was a man whose ambitions, like the ambition, not like the ambitions of Peter and Saul, were self-serving and corrupt. Simon wasn't interested in Jesus using him as a servant, for God's glory. Instead, Simon wanted to use Jesus as a servant for Simon's glory. And I'll show you the verse in that. It's Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. When Simon, the sorcerer, saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, and he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He's trying to bribe to get this gift of impartation. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. He wanted to use Jesus to make himself famous. I wish it were more difficult for me to relate to Simon the sorcerer than it is. But unfortunately, it's not. I think, but how will the world know that I did this incredibly selfless thing if I don't post about it? How, how will the world know that I paid for these people's meals if I don't do a selfie with them and say, hashtag, appreciate the firemen? You know, like, oh, I'm just encouraging other people to be generous. Really? Are we? Had I truly been open-handed toward God with all of my dreams, hopes, and ambitions, had I truly believed that the writing of my story belonged to God and not to me, if I had, then life would not have wrecked me to the degree that it did. I have been so emotionally defeated in the past because this happened, or this didn't happen, or I didn't get this promotion, or I didn't get this job. I, I have to understand that ambition, if it leads to depression, is not godly. I'm going to say that one more time. Ambition that causes you to isolate or withdraw or feel like a failure is not godly ambition. Ambition has two lessons. In the remaining time, I want to, hopefully I can get through these. Ambition has two lessons that we must all learn and relearn on a regular basis. Point number one, our failures and disappointments reveal the status, status, of our souls. Our failures and disappointments reveal the status of our souls. It's like a tea bag, right? You put a tea bag into boiling water and what happens? The tea goes into the water. Right? I wonder what kind of tea we are. With some of some of you you're a lemon zinger. Aren't you? You're a lemon zinger, you get in hot water, woo, you get tart. Uh-huh. Some of you your sleepy time tea. You get in hot water and lights out. Sleep it off. You wake up, oh, it's still there. You know what I mean? I've been sleepy time. I don't know what a good version is. I looked at all the teas and I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm wasting too much time on a simple illustration. But that's what, that's what it's like. You, you put us into a pressurized situation and then what's inside of us will come out of us. You want to know the state of your soul, the state, condition of your heart? Put yourself in some conflict and see what comes out. We say often, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I was just stressed. But that's what was inside of you. And I've been in the same situation. I've said things I regretted. That I didn't, and I go back. I didn't mean it. And when I sit back and I'm logical, I know that I don't really mean those things. But, but that was in my heart. Like the things that are not in your heart can't come out of your mouth unless they're in your heart. And that's not a fun realization for any of us. But when we have the failures and the disappointments, that is when our soul is revealed. Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3. says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. 
Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In Isaiah 60, I just want to talk for a moment about this, this point where failures and disappointments reveal the state of our soul. In Isaiah 60, uh, the Lord is saying basically that salvation becomes like a wall of fire around us. He describes we are, we are a city with walls and gates. And we learn that the wall is our salvation. So that's everything that God did for us is the wall around us, the wall of fire. And in uh, Isaiah 62, it describes it as flames of fire. But the gates, it says, is our praise. That's our responsibility. So part of the protection of our city, our soul, is both our redemption, which is nothing that we could do except to say yes to everything that he's done, but then there are gates. How many know that a, a walled city without gates is still not fully secure? So God puts up the wall around the city of our heart, yet we're responsible and accountable for the gates. And those gates are made through praise. Now, Revelations 21, when it talks about the great city, it talks about 12 gates, and they're each made by one pearl. And it says, goes on to say the streets are made of gold, translucent gold, and the, the gates are made of pearl. How many know that pearls are made through irritation? So the gates of heaven, the pearly gates, are built through irritation. Gates of praise are built by responding to difficulty and responding to God. So we want to know the state of our soul. Are we praising God in the middle of our irritation? Anybody can give praise when things are good, by the way. Anyone can say, I just got a raise, hashtag blessed. Anyone can say, I just made a great meal, hashtag living the dream. Hashtag, you did it again, dad. Like when things are great, it, it doesn't take a lot to praise the Lord. Uh, living a life of only praising God in the great time, I call that an Academy Award Christian. I just, first, I want to thank the Lord. Wait, did anyone else see what he just did in that movie? That was not Jesus at all, but when things are great, we want to thank the Lord. I saw you driving on Mopac. Was Jesus in you at that moment too? But when tragedy strikes, when you get that phone call, when you come home to that empty house, can you still be found praising him? That's when the gates are built. When you are, when you are struggling financially, yet you still honor him with your tithe, that's when praise is built. When you suffer loss and you did nothing wrong to deserve it, yet you still trust in a plan that you don't understand and you love a God that you feel like is silent, that's when your gates of praise are built. Psalm 22.3 says that God is enthroned as the Holy One in the praises of his people. Let me ask you a question. If God is enthroned on the praises of his people, who then is enthroned on our complaining? 
I heard Bill Johnson say recently that he will often sit and listen to people that come to him with a complaint and they're, you know, arguing about this or that and they think this is wrong and they don't like this and they don't like that. And he's just amazed at how long someone can speak without realizing that the Holy Spirit's not on what they are saying. And since I've read that, I've been a little bit convicted. Like, how much can I interact with my wife or my kids and not recognize that the Holy Spirit's not on that interaction? How long can I interact with people in public? You know, the person with the cart in front of me with 20 items, you know, in the 15, come on. How long can I allow that, that frustration and irritation to be built and not realize that the nature of God, the DNA of God is not flowing through me in that moment? If God responds to our praises. If God inhabits the praises of his people, who are we making space for in our world and in our life? Why is it that we're so shocked when things become chaos after we've been complaining for weeks and weeks and weeks and not speaking faith in life? And you say, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff, but you haven't even been declaring the Jesus stuff. You've been echoing the circumstances that you see. You haven't given God an opportunity to move. You haven't created space for a miracle. Why do we say we believe in miracles, yet we don't set the table for them? Our, our cupboards are empty. Our pantries have lack. Still set the table. If you're expecting God to show up miraculously, get prepared for him. As Greg said earlier, our preparation is directly proportional to our level of expectation. Don't say you expect God to move if you're not preparing a space for him to move in. I said that pearls are built with irritation. I want to remind you of one very critical thing. You would agree, I think, that this life, well, you would agree, if, if life is good for you right now, you would agree. If life is bad for you right now, you probably would disagree. But life is a vapor and is very quick, right? If we're having a great life right now, we agree with that concept. But if, you're, if you've just experienced um, some tragedy or life every, every minute can feel like an eternity, on some days, you may not agree with that statement, but once you get over this hump, you would come back and agree that this life is very, very short, right? The Bible says this life is like a vapor. It's gone. In the line of eternity, did you know that when you find yourself in conflict, when you find yourself frustrated, when you find yourself discouraged, disheartened, beat down, feeling broken, this is a once in eternity opportunity to give God praise. 
Because when you move from here to there, you won't have pain. You won't have disappointment. You won't have any disheartened moments of your life, which sounds great. But oh, what the gates of pearls and praise you can build now in the middle of discomfort if you choose praise instead of wallowing, wallowing in your own self-pity. Because once you move from here to there, never again will you have an opportunity to build a gate of praise. Next point. Point number two, our successes and achievements are poor substitutes for Jesus. Our successes and achievements are poor Jesus substitutes. Some of us in our ambition, we are running after that next grand thing. But even that will not satisfy the thing that only Jesus can satisfy. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're, they're pretty excited. The disciples are coming back and they're super excited. And it says, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I want to stop right there on verse 19. I have given you authority. I have given you dominion. Nothing will harm you. How many of you feel like that's a pretty good deal? Like that's pretty exciting that God has given us authority over something. I believe that many of us in this room are not walking in the authority that God has given to us. He said he's given us all of this authority. But the next verse is the critical verse that I want to hone in on today. He says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. There is more power and freedom in what I am under than what I am over. There is more power and freedom in finding myself under the authority of heaven, under the authority and in alignment with Jesus than all of the things that I'm over. Dominion is great. Dominion is exciting. Authority, wonderful. The fact that nothing can harm us, love it. But at the end of the day, if I'm at the top of the mountain, I still got to be under something. There's more power and more freedom in being found under Jesus than over something. If we wait to honor him until all of our circumstances are right, we have made our circumstances our God. If we wait to be obedient with the tithe until the money's there. We have made money our God. Our money has dictated when we obey God and when we don't. If we honor God with our thoughts and we, we begin to build our sonship and our daughtership only based on circumstances, when the stars are in alignment and when everyone likes us and when things are going well, then we have made circumstances our God. Our successes and our achievements are poor substitutes for Jesus. Let us pray. If you're here this morning 
And you would say, Trey, I, I know that I have ambition and I think it's used in a godly and pure way, but there are moments, there are seasons where I can slip over into selfish ambition. And I just want, I wanna take this moment, this act of faith by raising my hand to realign my heart, to allow my ambition to be used fully for the glory of God. Understanding that as I elevate Jesus, he elevates me. It's the principle of proximity. God can't be glorified without our life being improved. If that's you and, and you're saying, Pastor, I just I need the Lord to do some work on my level of ambition, will you raise your hand this morning? Heavenly Father, every hand that is raised all throughout this auditorium, God, I ask, Father, that we would step into rest and step into contentment. God, understanding that being busy is not always the solution. God, let us be busy on the things that you want us to be busy on. Let us be about the Father's business. So God, we just ask over the next seven days, God, that you would create an awareness inside of us, that you would shine a light in the areas of our heart and our life that we need to fully surrender to you. Whether we win or whether we fail, God, you get the glory, you get the credit, and you get the blame. God, we're simply your workmen. And we thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.